for my second minutes, I was go to the O. Mighty dollar in the O. Mighty power up that ch 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 chopper, sister, brother, son, daughter, father. All right, back here on the sports grind. Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark, producing, spinning the one and twos. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro DeBell Tequila Studios. 87737-GRIND is your number. All right, so keeping it going, um, still sticking a little bit with the NFL theme. Other news out there, which we didn't really talk about, uh, this was broke a few days ago, but speaking of defensive coordinators, uh, the Dallas Cowboys are bringing back Mike Zimmer as their defensive coordinator. Uh, he spent four or five years, I think, with Dallas. He was back with the Bill Parcells era, um, you know, was the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals for years. Um, this is what, you know, having a few days to digest this, this is what I'll say. Um, there's definitely it, – it's interesting to me because I do think Mike Zimmer is a good defensive-minded coach. Um, and uh, he was the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, and then he was the head coach for the Vikings for years. Um, but the one thing that I will say that makes this interesting is that the defense, when I look at the makeup of the players on the Dallas Cowboys on the defensive side and their personalities, um, and no, and, and me not knowing personally, but me seeing Dan Quinn from afar and how he was with Atlanta and reading stuff about him. The one thing I will say is the players are going to be, there's going to be an adjustment. And, and to me, this is going to be the key if this is going to work. Uh, Zimmer is very old school. Um, I don't think he's as, uh, in my opinion, now, time away from the game could have helped him. I know he went down to Colorado with Coach Prime as a consultant. He didn't really have a technical title. You know, dealt with probably a lot of stuff during the week, the early on stuff during Dion's recruitment and, and you know, camp last year. Uh, but he's very old school. And he's very his, – his personality – uh, from what I can see, is very raw and basically blunt. And I think when you look at Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn is kind of the more of like, I'm going to let the players do it their way as long as they do within the system what I want to do. Like, you can act a certain way, you can be a certain way. In my opinion, I think it's going to be an adjustment. When you talk about the personality of Micah Parsons, when you talk about Demarcus Lawrence, some guys on there, I feel like this is going to be, I won't use the word a rude awakening for them, but it's going to be an adjustment period. And, and, I, and I think that's going to determine how quickly they can adjust to Mike Zimmer and his coaching style and what he demands. That's really going to determine make a break on how this relationship works. I think Jerry is doing what Jerry does. He's going to, Jerry's the type of guy, especially where he's at in his age, uh, age of his life, He's going back to where he feels comfortable, where he's familiar. You know, um, you would think that they would have had, I mean, the success the defense has had under, you know, um, Dan Quinn for the last few years, you would like to think that they had somebody in waiting that would basically come within, hire within that's already on the staff. It goes back to what I just said a segment or so ago about the 49ers and the decision of Kyle Shanahan. I mean, when you do that, you think that somebody 
is on the staff ready to go. Because keep in mind, that's what they did. You know, when Robert Sala took the Jets job, D'Amico Ryans was already on that staff. They just elevated him to D coordinator. Um, you would think that Dallas, knowing that Dan Quinn has been interviewing for jobs for like the last two years, um, and he's been a hot name out there for the last two years, you would have thought that they had somebody that was already on staff that they could elevate. Because, again, the defense, from what most of us have been saying for the last two years, is not really the problem. The problem has been Dak's play in the postseason and the offensive challenges that they've had, let's say, really in the red zone and scoring points. So um, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I've got respect for Coach Zimmer. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, he did a pretty decent job in Minnesota. Um, couldn't really get them over the hump. But, you know, he had some he had some top five, top seven defenses in Minnesota uh, a year or two ago there. He, he, you know, Cincinnati Bengals defense was always, you know, a hard nose. So he has a good track record. I'm just thinking if I'm a Dallas fan or have rooting interest in the Cowboys, I would just be a little bit concerned about the personalities meshing with the makeup of the players. And if Micah Parsons as a leader and Demarcus Lawrence digs, if these guys can buy in and they set the tone for the other younger guys, no problem. We'll see how it develops on Sunday, Thursdays, and Mondays. But that's my thought uh, on that. 877-37-GRIND. Also, um, Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady basically was doing an interview with Chad Graff of The Athletic. And he was pretty much talking about the time it came to him to sign the last contract with New England before he left to go to the Bucks, and he said that he just couldn't do it. He said that he didn't care whether he was paraphrased. He said he didn't care if he was playing until he's 50 or trying to play 50. I wasn't signing another contract with New England. And he kind of alluded to uh, by the way he was treated. You know, um, I think his, his, uh, his old running mate Edelman had kind of put it to where it was more of like a – like a beaten animal, like an abused dog or something that just keeps coming back for more. Um, look, in the same breath, though, with the athletic, he said that, hey, me and Bill accomplished a lot together. You know, what we accomplished, this and that. I mean, it wasn't all just a bastard. But this is probably, if there's been any type of shot taken or any type of, like, you know, peel back the curtain since he's been retired – at Bill, because it's always been praises. This is the first that I've heard, uh, you know, coming from him. Now, you've always heard into windows, whether it was Wickersham or whoever, about really, we all knew that it wasn't a rose relationship. But to hear Tom really say it and really talk about basically like, look, I just, the style of coaching, as he kind of put it, the, the, you know, the way to do it, it just came to a point where it wasn't that. You know, it kind of, it, it kind of, kind of made me think about too. The time with Rob Gurkowski, I don't know if we were, if everybody remembers this, but, you know, Rob was thinking about taking that when he take that year off to step down and he was pitching some product and he got emotional and kind of teared and just said, hey, the game's not fun for me anymore. You know, you kind of wonder um, just that environment, which they've always said, not everybody can go play in New England at that time under Bill. Tom made it easier, but not everybody. A lot of people have respect for him, former players. OK, uh, but not everybody can play for him. And when I hear Tom say this and Tom puts this out there and really just says, hey, I was at to my ropes. I couldn't sign another extension. 
you know, I talked about the age being a factor that basically played a factor. Maybe Bill getting shut out on these interviews on this cycle this year in 2024. But when you hear and there's a lot of inside back channel information that goes on in the NFL, some that we don't even hear about, not the media, not the fans. It's just really the inner circles to say, hey, what really went on those last year? What did Bill become? What how is Bill thinking? And you have to wonder when you hear Tom doing an interview with the athletic and say this, not only his age, but you have to wonder about is his rep. It doesn't matter how much success he's had. How many Super Bowl championships, 13 games away from Don Shula, whatever the number is, you have to wonder if his reputation behind closed doors within that circle of owners, GM, former players, you have to wonder if that played a factor of him kind of getting shut out as well. Because really, honestly, I only really remember of here, I only know of really one actual interview that took place with him on the record, and that was Atlanta. Um. You know, there was rumors that maybe the commanders was interested, but I didn't. It's not like Bill had two or three different interviews with different teams and they just all said, no, we're, we're not interested. The only one that I really heard of and know of is the Atlanta one. And then there was rumors and speculation. So um, and the reason why I think that's significant about these comments with Tom is because, you know, kind of contradicting kind of what I said, you know, a few weeks ago, you have to wonder, is Bill's name? really going to hover on all these other teams coming into 2024 that's on the bubble, if he has that kind of reputation, you know, at this point. What do you got to us? Well, Chad Gra- uh, Graff got Brady's comments from the upcoming documentary that's going to be released. Okay. Okay, it's called The Dynasty. Mm-hmm. Get ready to sign up for another subscription service, Cal. Gosh. It drops on Apple TV this okay. Friday. Okay. <laughs> Over the next five weeks, again, wow. from, from Graff's article with The Athletic, we're going to get two episodes per Friday. Okay. Um, so this is really to dive into the 20 years of the relationship between Belichick and Brady. Gronk goes on the record talking about how he didn't. there were days he pulled up at the stadium and didn't want to get out of, out of the car because he didn't want to go into work. We've got Belichick sitting down in front of the camera commenting on this dynasty so we've already had tom brady's story the man in the arena right that was on espn came out a few years ago because he wanted to get his you know um his in the in the shadow of michael jordan yeah right so but this one now is focusing on this dynasty specifically um and the athletic chad graff was able to view it and he said per his words in his article the document this documentary is not the infomercial that many believed Robert Kraft's you know speech with Bill Belichick and that whole you know at the podium and everything was. Mm-hmm. He goes on goes on to say it's much more focused on the relationship between Brady and Belichick and in totality it's the most comprehensive view yet of how miserable people in the building were in the final years of their dynasty. Or at least that's the juiciest part. So he does a breakdown of the episodes and stuff like that, but we'll be right. able to see inside. So to, to your point kind of here, you almost wonder, after this goes public, and of course Bill Belichick knows this is going public because he sat down in front of the camera for it all. After this comes out, does anybody ever want to touch him again? 
Well, I mean, and this is the tone that we're already getting, and we haven't seen one episode. Well, first of all, you know, I would have had a problem with this in whatever light that they shine or whatever they want to tell the truth about Bill if Bill wasn't participating in this. So the fact that he's participating in this, uh, in my opinion, gives it a lot more credibility and basically understanding. Because if Tom and Rob Edelman whoever's going to be a part of this, if they would have just sit there and it would have been a bashing session about how miserable we were for the last two years and Bill's not a part, I'd be like, you know what? That's that's messed up and that's foul. Um, I, you know, honestly, I didn't see the uh, Man in the Arena one or whatever. I didn't go to ESPN. I didn't watch that one. Um, maybe it was because I just felt like, you know, with that, and there was another one too. Everybody saw the success of Jordan in the last dance and everybody's rushing to tell theirs when it's like, that was just a perfect storm, man. We were all shut down. There was no sports. We couldn't leave nowhere. We never heard Mike talk about that whole dynasty and like, good luck with anybody else chasing documentaries like that. Cause it's not going to happen. Um, but look. It's one of those things that are we based off of Wickersham's article a few years ago that went with the ESPN that broke and his piece on behind after that came out. I mean, I just don't know what else am I going to hear Tom or Gronk break down to sit there that's going to really shock me. That's really going to sit there and say no way. I mean, we've known. I mean, Tom with with the legacy Tom had. I mean, there's one thing that a lot of people. Hey, let, let me rephrase that. There's one thing that a lot of legend quarterbacks wish they could do. It's the number one goal, and that's to retire in the same uniform when you have that type of resume. Joe Montana didn't get that choice, okay? Um, you know, if I, if I go off the top of my head, there's a quite a few others that didn't really get that choice to go out with the team that they won rings with and they did. Brett Favre didn't get that choice. I mean, Aaron's is a little bit different, but he kind of wanted it that way in a way. But my point is, is that for Tom to be having six Super Bowl rings with the Patriots and to have all these accolades and passing and touchdowns and all this kind of stuff, it had to be real. I knew. I mean, he left for a reason. It had to be bad or he hadn't. He couldn't be happy or feel appreciated with Bill to leave. Because all the greats wish they can leave on their terms and leave with the unit, the team that drafted them. And there's very few that get to do that. Dan Marino got to do it, even though he didn't have a Super Bowl, but he got to leave on his terms. Elway got to do it. Troy Aikman did, but Troy Aikman didn't get to leave on his terms. He left on a cart after LeVar Arrington knocked him out. So the point is, back to this, I, I just feel I'll wait for the insight and the you know, the excerpts and all that, and for you to fill me in, I don't know if, especially if it's streaming. Something else I got to get streaming to get my card to. I ain't rushing to see this because ain't nothing going to shock me. What, what, the only thing where they're going to say, Bill and Tom came to a fisticuffs in the locker room one time. I mean, if you ain't going to tell me that, what is it going to be? I mean, because a lot of it, which I would hope they touch on, is because I think a lot of, you know, when they say how miserable the building was in the last two years of the dynasty, I think for Tom and them, it's the fact of the grind and due to the fact that Tom, which I don't know, maybe he touches on this, he won't. But it's the fact that he constantly, constantly took less money and bought in and the talent around him was not improving. That's really what made it miserable for him. And then when he's the leader, if Tommy's miserable, then Gronk, Edelman, everybody coaches, everybody's going to be miserable. That's really what it comes down to me. 
The only reason, because because you can't tell me Tom puts up with Bill's coaching style for 15, 17 years and everything's good and he's talking the way and he's that like the way Tom talked to the media, that's all conditioned through Bill. So you can't make me believe he was good with it for 15, 17 years and all oh, the last few years of it was so miserable because it's just the way this guy is. No, it was because they were not really the Super Bowl standard team they thought they, they, they should be. And Tom kept taking less, less money and the talent around him. And there was no effort to go get big name wide receivers and free agency. There was no, the only difference is you heard about it all the time about bitching, complaining with Aaron Rodgers, what I thought was overrated, but Tom was really living it. But Tom never complained about it, you know, until his last year when you saw Mike's on the sound, like, Hey, I need y'all to be fast. I need you to be fast. Like Tom, their 40 is what it is, buddy. But uh, but we'll see. And that's set to drop when? Uh, this Friday. Yeah. So, so I'm pretty tomorrow sure. uh, we get the first two episodes on Apple TV. And I'm pretty sure when we come in here on Monday and Tuesday, there'll be some things floating around that was said that we'll bring up and, and say, hey, this and that. But I'm honestly, I just I, I'm waiting. I guess I'm going with this with ears to see if they wow me, if they surprise me with anything like, no, no way. Well, I wouldn't expect to because we're going to go in chronological order mm-hmm. um, through this. We're going to bring you through the 20 years. So right. the early years, I don't think there's going to be too much. You know, because Tom was very impressionable. He was a a late-round pick. Bill Belichick coming in, you know, a little, uh, you know, slighted in in the NFL himself then, too. Yeah, but the people that are tuning in to hear it, see this, they're not tuning in to see the glory. We The glory years, all this. They're they're in it to hear the soup, man. They're in it to see the drama what is, man. Ain't nobody nobody care about the first few years. We know about that. You listen to the Sports Grind. Today's show is being presented by Dos Get a Dose. We'll be back. Texas summers can get hot, but now they're blazing with the new Zing Zang Blazing Bloody Mary mix. The latest addition to the Zing Zang lineup brings the same great, bold, and delicious taste that you already know, only much hotter. Shake things up with Zing Zang Blazing Bloody Mary mix made with premium ingredients and crafted for a bold and savory taste, whether with your favorite vodka or with the pre-mixed ready-to-drink cans. Zing Zang, America's favorite Bloody Mary and an official sponsor of the sports crime. Please Zing Zang responsibly. For more than a century, the Pendleton Roundup has defined what it means to be a cowboy. It also gave life to something equally renowned, Pendleton Whiskey, capturing that unique spirit in every bottle and honoring the enduring legacy of the American West. Pendleton Whiskey is made with the finest northern grains and cut with Mount Hood Glacier water, a whiskey that celebrates the cowboy in all of us. That's Pendleton Whiskey. That's true Western tradition. Pendleton is the official whiskey of the PBR Tour. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. Pendleton Whiskey, official sponsor of the sports grind. Are you moving around the greater San Antonio area? Choose the storage experts. Tiger Moving and Storage. Whether you're moving an office or the whole family, Tiger Moving and Storage offers container drop-off and delivery with efficient, prompt, and cost-effective service. To learn more and to secure your portable storage container today, go to choosetiger.com. Tiger Moving and Storage, official sponsor of the sports grind. All right, back here on the Sports Grind, Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark producing and spinning the one and twos. 
Today's show is being presented by Dosakis. Get a dose. And we are broadcasting here from the Maestro de Bell Tequila Studios. And this next segment is going to be sponsored by Pillin Whiskey. Keep in mind, Pillin Whiskey is an oak barrel aged whiskey distilled in Canada. Using the finest ingredients before bottling glacier fed spring waters added from Mount Hood, Oregon's highest peak. Pillin Whiskey delivers an uncommonly smooth taste and a rich, complex flavor. And keep in mind, Pillin Whiskey is the official spirit of the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association and its official whiskey of the professional bull riding tour which is the pbr velocity tour and it's an official whiskey of the sports grind that is pillin whiskey 87737 grind so uh real quick before we move on just to answer your uh entire question jones when you say once this comes out speaking of the tom brady piece about bill will anybody touch him look i mean if if bill is going to want to continue to coach to get this record eventually i think somebody is going to give in and hire him it's just going to take the right general manager and owner that's willing to deal with what comes with bill um i look i just can't believe if I saw Dick Vermeil walk away from the game for 15, 20 some years, or uh, longer than that actually, and get rehired um, by the Rams, there's got to be, and, and, and you're talking about a guy that has six Super Bowls. Uh, if he still wants to coach, somebody's eventually going to give in. Not saying that he's probably, because I think really it's probably more of his age than anything, uh, but not saying he's going to be the top of the list. He's probably not going to be the number one candidate going into next season, off season this time next year. But I think if he really still wants to coach, there's going to be some team that is going to be willing to give him a chance. And, and probably he will not be inheriting a team that's close, most likely. He's probably going to have to take on a project, a team that hasn't been there before, that's, you know, a drought or whatever the case may be. That's just my opinion, but we'll see. But I don't really think, again, we don't know what's in this until you watch it, uh, but I don't think anything particularly extra damaging is going to be in here that could hurt him more than whatever his reputation is amongst the people that are actually in the business is anyway, just my opinion. 877-37-GRIND. All right, before we move on uh, into the NBA, uh, Mr. John Elway broke his silence on Adam Schefter's podcast about the whole hoopla about him carrying the trophy um, and giving it to the Chiefs. And, you know, of course, Adam, uh, for people that don't know, I know people in Colorado know this, but, you know, he, before it was Adam for the four-letter network, Adam was getting it in and cut his teeth in Denver. I, I remember even before I got into the business, for me to get my Denver information, I would look for Adam Scheffner, who who was, you know, at that time, I think, working for the Denver Post. Um so he has a long relationship with Elway. Uh, covered him when he was playing. Um, I know over the years they're pretty close. So he had him on this podcast. He's hey John, you know, carrying the trophy. And John's like, yeah. He goes, you know, honestly, which paraphrase, which is true. He goes, look, he goes, I've got ties 
over with the 49ers and, uh, you know, with John Lynch, you know, being over in Denver, playing, you know, winning in Denver. And then you got Kyle Shanahan with Mike Shanahan's son. He goes, of course, I was rooting for the 49ers uh, to win this because of the ties. But he said, you know, he goes credit to Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. You know, they were able to go and, you know, score that touchdown late. He said being on the sideline kind of you know, sparked up old memories of him. Uh, you know, he'd been in five in those. He also said they kept telling him to get out, like, to scoot back. Like, you can't get on the field. You're too close. I'm like, damn, don't they know who that is? Like, security don't even damn who it is. But John was just saying that, yeah, man, it it, it was kind of uh, that surreal moment that he wished he was handing the trophy to, to Kyle and the 49ers instead of Kansas City. So, um, he broke his silence, but I still feel like I said on Monday, I mean, it's part of his medicine. Because, I mean, honestly, like I said, I got a lot of respect for John, but he's his last few years, he's got his hands in helping assist his dynasty. So I thought that was an interesting note. But, uh, again, and he's played in five of those things and won two. But there you go. 877-37-GRIND. All right, transitioning into the National Basketball Association. It is all-star break time. Uh, we've got two – uh, games tonight on the docket. Um, first off, you know, last night's action, as I alluded to it in the first hour, uh, the Spurs last night fell to the Mavericks 116-93. to um, The one thing I will say that I am seeing a little bit different, and it still comes down to the best player on the team, uh, with Wimby. I think Wimby's getting more comfortable in knowing exactly, like, how to move around on the court and um, when to kind of look for his shot and um how to attack that that's the thing that has stood out to me over the uh progress of this you know this season that they've gone through um that's pretty much it i mean the effort's been better but i think really the reason why wimby's putting up some numbers and i think he's marching toward that solidifying that rookie of the year without a doubt uh he's just understanding i think slowly but surely he's understanding the nba how it works and the speed, and he's picking his spots better than he did early on in the first few of the uh, parts of the month. Other than that, they still challenge the same issues, uh, having hard time. Uh, you know, that's why I was so impressed with the uh, Toronto win because they did it wire to wire, and that's just something they haven't been able to do. And that's really what ails his team because you could tell the way they came out, and you know, the local broadcast kind of gave you a, scene, a look behind the scenes because I was watching it on the you know Matt Barner local feed. You know, Dallas, I think, and it's a good sign too because I think Dallas, when you look at the Spurs, you look at a team that only has that many wins in the wheel column, and and you're right there during the break. Uh, Dallas was a lot of lackadaisical during the warm-ups. Luka trying to have court shots. There a lot of giggling, dancing around. And I think the young guys, you know, kind of took that to a little to the heart and came in and jumped all over them. You know, early on, it just couldn't sustain it. And that's just kind of been this this team's uh, problem. But for Wimby, you definitely see him getting a little bit more comfortable and picking his spots. That That's the one thing, uh, you know, that I would say. But if you're as talented as Wimby, I mean, that's something that you're going to get, you know, just off your own and your basketball IQ and you just going through it anyway. What do you got? Uh, talking about the collapse after after the game, he said, you know, when the, when you're not making shots, you're not making shots. And. And one of the areas on the floor they weren't making shots was from beyond the arc. 10 of 40. 10 of 40. 
Now, we go back a few years ago, and of course, there was a, the thing, well, can Pop and the Spurs adapt, adapt to the new three-ball era? Of course, last month, Popovich caught once again on the three-point ball being so instrumental in the game. But when they're when you're on the floor, you've got uh, Trey Jones, 0 of 4 from beyond the arc. Zach Collins, 0 of 4 from beyond the arc. Keldon Johnson, 1 of 8. Even Victor Wembanyama, 2 of 6. Um, at what point, like, is it, where do you kind of hold that, I guess? The three-point shooting. If, if they fall, they fall, and it's amazing. Because Wem, you know, Wemby's two three-pointers really came in the first 12 minutes. When he or, or sixteen minutes when he he scored twelve points at two blocks two rebounds two assists and like a steal or something in the first twelve minutes and then you cool off and they, that's where they really weren't able Whoa. to sustain was because they were still shooting like they were hot you know when they came out the gate. Well, first of all, um, this just isn't a Popovich problem. This is a league problem, and you've heard Barkley talk about it. And, and I think also what is surprising because. Pop has you figure a guy like Pop that has his resume, and especially with dealing with a you know young team, you can voice this. The problem is the first of all, Spurs have been awful three point shooting for like the last three four years. Okay, the one guy that they had they could shoot, they told him to kick rocks because he felt like he could be used more, and he spoke up and he got shipped off, and that's Bird Tons. Um, there's guys in the league, not just this team. There's guys in the league that have no business shooting threes. And, and you know, the whole Golden State era and, you know, Steph and Clay and, you know, you get guys out of Oklahoma like Trey Young coming to the league and everybody's pulling up for half court and everybody's shooting threes. And you, 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 have a, you have a fast break that really makes my butt itch watching NBA on a nightly basis. Sometimes you see college. It just makes no sense. Three on, I'm telling you, there's no three on, there's no weave drills that's done in practice. No, even the little time you get to practice. Because a lot of these professionals that's direct deposit in eight figures, they do not, point guards include. They don't know how to run a fast break. It's three on one, and guys are running to the three point to the corner line of three point jack up threes. The coaches and the NBA, they've allowed this. And that's why it's disappointing in regards to Pop, because Pop can talk all he wants to about the three ball error, and he hates it. And I get it. That's the one thing he is vocal with. And he's been like that for the last three years. But it comes down to I hold it to the coaches accountable. You've got to let guys know not everybody on the team should be shooting that many threes. Okay? They, they really shouldn't. So if you have a stat where they're one for 41 or whatever the hell it was, half of those guys really shouldn't be shooting threes. And that's a problem. That's just not a Popovich spur problem. That's a problem in the NBA. You know, it takes a – I mean, you know, look, it's just – I don't know what it is. I mean, for one, these guys make a lot of money. And the players run the league in the NBA. It's not like the NFL. So some of these coaches, especially new coaches, are very, you know – hamstrung to what they can really implement and how much they can say, hey, look, man, you're not shooting. Because you get guys that are worried about incentives. You get guys that worry about their stats. You get guys that know they got a free agency coming up and this and that. And it's the air of the three ball. But that's the problem the NBA. And that's why you get some bad games and you get, you know, it, it's just a mixture, man. And I'm telling you, follow the money. You know, I'm not going to be here and be one of those that just hate the NBA and say, oh, the NBA sucks. The quality sucks. I'm not that because I like the NBA. But the reality of it is, is that the quality of it is, is falling off because you've got a lot of guys that really shouldn't be in the NBA. They should still be in the development league or they should still be in college. And a mixture of that, you've got a lot of guys making a lot of money to where on certain nights that they don't have it, they're getting blown out. 
by 40, by 30, giving up 70 points to an individual. It's a money problem and it's a hunger problem, you know, um, and maybe we just have to ride this era out and, and it goes. But um, just to answer your question, no, I mean, that it, it starts with pop and ends with pop. But when you're talking about a team that has what, 12 wins or 13? I think they're still sitting around 11. Okay, about 11. So they've got 11 wins, and you're still coaching this phenom, and he's finally getting his feet wet in the NBA. You know, what's going on? What do you do? I mean, what's the point? I mean, at that point, I'm not saying you give up, but they are who they are. They still don't have a consistent identity for me. They don't. Um, And, again, that's on pop. But sitting there and going to – change now for a team that went 10 for 41 or whatever it was from the three-point line what do you do about that uh you really can't i mean because they came out with the effort that you could tell that that whole it was awesome well yeah because they they're at the end of the day they can be young but they're professionals if you look across the court and you see luka Doncic trying you know three-point shots from half court and you see guys dancing and stuff and you rolling in with 11 wins i hope like hell that somebody on the team said well screw this they take us lightly they just can't sustain it they they just couldn't sustain it and that's last night uh in regards to the defending champs the Denver Nuggets who took which you can arguably say this was a tough bad loss for them last night now I'm still telling you the reality of all-star weekend and you're two days out and three days out Denver has been struggled. they struggled on the road trip they got they had two blowout losses and then they come back home last night to take on a struggling Sacramento Kings team that also has been struggling and underachieving in my opinion but no one's really talking about it uh but they take a loss last night. They really just really fell apart in the uh, in the fourth quarter. And look, there's this reason why I do think it's a concern. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're the defending chance, but it's a concern. Let me tell you why. Because they haven't shared enough success together yet. Yes, they're the defending champs. Yes, they've won one championship. But they have, they're new to this spot. So the reason why, if I'm a Denver Nuggets fan or Denver Nuggets have Denver Nuggets interest, I'm going to be a little bit worried because there is a such thing as developing bad habits. Okay. And, you know, sometimes it's a one off, sometimes two. Then when you get into four or five, six times, then that's a trend. Mike Malone, after the game, talked about the guys just need rest. They need rest. And I'm like, Mike, I mean, is that, I mean, to me, it's like, how much rest are they really going to get? I mean, the all-star break is, I mean, you got Joker that's part of all-star activities. Uh, did Murray make it? Jamal Murray, is he an all-star? No, I remember that was the controversy. We talked, I brought it up that day. He didn't make a reserves. Okay. Um, so we, we, do we feel like he got snubbed or not? At the time, you said you didn't feel like it was a snub. No, I really don't. Uh, what do they, now they give, it used to be a few days. Don't the guys get a full week off now for all-star break? Not quite. Uh, I think we're back on Tuesday. Okay. I remember. I don't know if that was last year, year before. It seemed like it was a whole day a week, which I thought was ridiculous. I'll pull up the schedule okay. so we can go over it today. But the rest comments from Mike Malone is concerning to me because I'm thinking if you really think your team is tired and fatigued, is that championship fatigue? Do they have the hunger to know, hey, this ain't easy going back to back? You know, and, and I stand by what I say, and I think Mike Malone has put the challenge to them. When you have the Joker, which arguably you can make arguments, he's the best player in the NBA. If not, he's damn sure top two. Um, One championship's not enough. 
And I think Mike Malone understands that. I think Joker understands that. I think Jamal Murray understands that. Like this nucleus together with their age, you're looking like you're trying to squeeze at least two or three out of this one. As long as you got Joker in your prime. And if you don't, you can say it's a disappointment. Hey, you got one. It's the only one in franchise history. But the way this team is set up and the type of player Joker is, there's more meat left on the bone. And you can't leave it on the bone. Okay, that's just my point. But I do feel I'm not hitting the panic button yet, but there is a concern. There is a concern because you can develop bad habits and you just can't shake out of it just because the postseason starts. What do you got? Uh, yeah, they get about six days off. Uh, they'll be six back days. next Thursday, not Tuesday. They'll be okay. back Thursday. Yeah, I thought it was almost a week they get off. So, hey, if they can't get the rush they can get in a week, then they are in trouble. 877-37-GRIND. Golden State last night, okay, the Clippers rally from 15 points down in the fourth quarter to go on and beat the Golden State Warriors, uh, minus Kawhi Leonard. Um, you saw something last night you never really see. Tyron Lou losing his cool, get ejected. The team responded. Um, Harden kind of responded. Westbrook is having, like, on the cool, he's having a hell of a season. You know, all the flack that he took Sixth in L.A., uh, I think so. I don't know. You have to tell me who the other names, but right off the top, he definitely got to be in the conversation. Um, he's having a hell of a season, man. I, I mean, considering all the vitriol and the blame that he got in Los Angeles, he goes down the hallway, spends a, gets some midseason or whatever, then he decides to stay, come back. He's a big integral part to what they do. Uh, Golden State, um <clears throat> Look, man, they've been playing better. They've been playing a lot better. But for the Clippers to be down 15 and to go in there without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George was, eh, you know, this team is real. And and I and honestly, I they if they can stay healthy, they are the best team right now in the NBA. The Nuggets have the title until somebody knocks them off. Clippers are scary. Now, the other thing about that is with the Golden State, that is their sixth 15-point lead blown this season. It's tied for first. You know who it's tied with, Jonas? I'm going to guess the Spurs. Bingo, you won. That's not the company you want to be in. 11 not team for the Warriors. Win. Yeah, 11 win team and 16 bone leads. That's why you can make arguments. They're better than what their record says. Golden State, obviously, they've gone through scoring pains. But I just don't see it, man. I just don't. You know, I have a lot of respect. People listen to the show long enough know I have a lot of respect for Kerr and uh, Steph Curry. But with what they did, what they didn't do at the deadline and the whole thing, you know, they'll be there when the dust settles. But I don't see them this year as a championship contender, at least of as of now. You're listening to the Sports Grind. Today's show is being presented by Dos Equis. We are broadcasting here for the Maestro de Bell Tequila Studios. We'll be back. When life sounds too much like this. It's time to consider more of this. Sometimes a little shift is all you need. A dose of perspective. Dos Equis Lager. Get a dose. Enjoy Dos Equis responsibly. Copyright 2021. Imported by Cervezas Mexicanas, White Plains, New York. Maestro Dobel Tequila was born from 11 generations of tequila-making legacy. 
It is sourced from a single estate in the volcanic lowlands of Jalisco, Mexico, using the finest 100% blue agave. Double distilled and aged in European white oak barrels, Maestro Dobel's commitment to innovation isn't only to discover new ways of distilling and aging, it's about elevating and crafting a superior tequila that is the essence of mastery. Maestro Dobel is the official tequila of the PGA Tour and an official sponsor of the sports grind. Please drink responsibly. It's time to warm up that scoreboard and get ready to bring home the win with Specs. Specs has you covered with lower prices on all your favorite fan fuel. From craft beer, rare spirits and world-class wine to chips, dips and gourmet finer foods. And with same-day delivery when you order online or through the app, Specs is your MVP for the biggest score of the game. At Specs, the fun starts here. Here's to you, cheers to savings. Just because the sun is setting earlier doesn't mean the fun stops sooner. Now is the perfect time to get to Specs and stock up on after-summer savings with fresh new releases in every category. Specs has Texas' largest selection of lower-priced wines, craft cocktail ingredients, and beers that'll have you raising a glass to every sunset. The biggest savings of the season are at Specs. The fun starts here. Whether you're looking for a date night at the Dominion or a light meal while shopping on the weekend, stop by Thai Lao Orchid at the Dominion. Just five minutes north of the shopping center, Thai Lao Orchid's Vietnamese options are great for dinner or lunch, serving up staples from curry and noodles to the house special nam and seafood lovers steamed clay pot. They're open weeknights from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. and noon till 9 on Saturdays and noon to 8 on Sundays. That's Thai Lao Orchid at the Dominion, official sponsor of the Sports Grind. 